Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. You can check out Rasslin Memories live and in the moment on uh, at our website, by the way, where we stream our audio, RadioNorthland.org, and we're on the TuneIn app too. That's good stuff. You can also listen to some archives. Go to the Rasslin Memories page at RadioNorthland.org, and you can uh, click on, get linked up to the Radio Northland SoundCloud page and check out 10 years of Rasslin Memories. Glenn Broggett, along with the grizzled vet, Mike McCurdy, down there deep in the heart of Texas, down there where it's still oh so warm. And yeah, finally up here, last couple of weeks, we've had a few uh, nice rainstorms and it feels a lot less dry. And I actually have have to mow my lawn now for the second time in two weeks. So, hey, I don't know what's going on down there, but I'm definitely enjoying up here looking out the window today and seeing some more rain hitting hitting that ground. I wish. We've been in triple digits for a month now. It's just, it's just hot. It's nasty. And that's your wrestling memories weather report for this week. Other than that, I'm doing good. And I was talking with you beforehand uh, that, you know, as of the day of this, uh, the day of the recording will be airing, I'll be heading out into the uh, the heat as well. So I get to experience some of that triple digit stuff, uh, upper 90s next week. Yeah, but you're going to Vegas. So, <laughs> well, yes, yes, yes. Got a nice little. You're gonna, have, you're gonna have fun in that triple digit weather. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna be out, you know, going for you know walks and stuff like that. Well, I probably will. It's a lot to. I got a lot on the plate for that. Got a few shows. Gonna go enjoy. It's been a couple of years since I was last out there, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be some good times. And I am gonna have to miss the AEW pay per view, though. I'm gonna be flying out that Sunday afternoon, so I'll be missing that. And oh no. Not you, I'm huh? Looking forward to that this weekend. What a... I am looking forward to that. My son is excited. He wants to see CM Punk so bad. So I get to experience <laughs> the thrill with him. That little boy is just—he's bursting the seams. He wants to see CM Punk. And so you know, you know that's going to be. I ordered it. We're watching. It's you know, it's, it's going to be good. I, I mean, Darby Allen to be the first uh, out the shoot though is is, is 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 the right opponent, I think, because they're going to do some good stuff. You know, he, he's been, how, what, seven years since he was been in, in a pro wrestling ring, you know, actively competing. Is that, is that about years, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's see uh, if he's in good, you know, he looks to be in good shape. He was just on Heels the other night on the SARS network. The, uh, <laughs> Ricky Rady. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so we got that. And uh, yeah, AEW uh, working towards probably, uh, I have no doubt that they're going to be, uh, un, you know, unveiling a few more surprises at their big pay-per-view event there in the greater Chicago land area. Well, well, rumor is that, uh, you know, certain Mr. Brian Danielson might show up. So Ruby Soho is, uh, you know, rumored to be part of the uh, Casino Battle Royals this weekend. So, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of non-competes that ended this week, this week too. So who knows? It's definitely an interesting time, just kind of a fun time to uh, be a pro wrestling fan. Now, uh, Mike, before we uh, get going any further, uh, we, as we are uh, going on the air today, uh, you pointed, you sent me uh, something uh, about a, a, a very unfortunate thing. I mean, man, when someone passes away, you know, whatever age, but this just seems so, her story just seems such like such sadness, and the way it ended was equally just heartbreaking. The professional wrestler known as Daphne or Daphne Unger, passed away at the age of 46 mike you you told me all about this because i was a little uh in the dark but uh tell us a little we got to talk a little bit about this here before we get to our guest 
Uh, you know, sometimes I wish I didn't click on shit. Um, no, Daphne went live on her Instagram uh, Wednesday night, so the night before we're recording this, and a very distraught video. Uh, she's in tears at one point in time. Uh, according to what I read, they said she's holding a pistol in her hand. I did not see that. The, the video I saw was an extremely edited video, and the person who posted it on Twitter needs to remove it, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Immediately. Um, but she talked very, you know, she was very sad. You know, as she's recording the video, you can hear the vibration of her phone as people are trying to call her. And she's telling them that, you know, she doesn't want to talk to it anymore. She can't do it. She can't handle it. So the wrestling world is basically reaching out, trying to hopefully get to her before it was too late. And unfortunately, uh, we woke up today. The day started and found out that, unfortunately, they didn't make it in time. So, yeah, she took her own life. Her mother came out and, on social media and let people know. But very, very sad. It's one when someone passes away and when they pass away so young, but then when, you know, not only do they take their own life, but you see the final moments before they mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just bad all around. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. Yeah, very, very sad. And of course, uh, with social media, you know, um, unfortunately, uh, sometimes you, you see more than you would like to see. And uh, yeah, very, very, very sad for her. Because Most definitely. Very sad for her, you know, meant, you know, battling with her her health, mental health for many years now, and she also had some in ring head injuries and stuff too. Uh, I remember uh, it, well, in her last real uh, big major television company was when she worked with Impact, and I think she suffered an injury, and uh, you know, it, it could have led on to you know, we can't say anything until you look at the brain, but I mean, they were talking about you know comparing it to CTE, some of the things as far as her head injury. Mm-hmm. You know, and having that and, and, and dealing with mental health, you know, if anybody is, you know, as far as suicide goes, uh, you know, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available for those who are struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide and really want to let out, uh, you know, call that number if you can, 1-800-273-8255 and uh, or talk to a friend, just reach, you know, reach out or if you know of somebody who's suffering, reach out to them. Because, you know, it can make a world of difference in some cases. Most definitely. Like I said, tragic ending to this. I, I was hoping for for better, but she said in the video that she wanted her brain to go to Boston. So that's, I guess, in reference to uh, the Institute where Nowinski's at that's mm-hmm. working on. Uh, yeah. So. so we're more than likely going to. Maybe we'll find some answers and help someone else. There'll be some sort of closure as far as that whole topic of the head injury. Well, uh, Mike, you you've uh, scored you 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 booked a pretty good quality guest here this week to talk about one hell of a man, and we uh, lost that uh, the the guy we're, we're going to be paying tribute to uh, at the beginning of August the, this year in 2021, passing away at the age of 62. We talked a little bit about it on a Wrestling Memories episode prior, but uh, we, the world and us, the pro wrestling fans, we lost a good one when, when Bobby Eaton passed away. Oh, most definitely, man. Like I told you before uh, we started recording, I'm finding that you can't just call Bobby Eaton the nicest guy in professional wrestling. He may literally be one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, I've been listening to podcasts, interviews. I've listened to our guests speak about him. Nobody can say a bad thing about Bobby in the wrestling world. Nobody can say a bad thing about Bobby in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, the man 
would give food and money to the homeless people that he would see when he was on the road on his travels. And he would carry a duffel bag full of items for the other boys. You know, hey, they're missing a toothbrush. Hey, Bobby's got a toothbrush. You know, I mean, everybody talks about this. So I thought, you know, we should. We need, we need to remember Bobby Eaton, pay a little tribute, hear some more stories. Because, you know, what I've, heard is, what I've heard is great. You know, I'm always willing and ready to hear more. Oh, absolutely. And uh, your ge- uh, our guest today uh, definitely uh, had, has some very good firsthand uh, stories and accounts of, uh, you know, being around beautiful Bobby Eaton, most definitely, uh, Mike. Well, yes, most definitely. And uh, I, I, I will take the opportunity because, you know, we'll, we'll let him talk about Bobby. It's like you said, he had a very close relationship with him, worked with him for, I believe, over 20 years. So uh, we're going to bring the wrestling memories this week, none other Mr. Brian Thompson. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure, and especially the uh, opportunity to talk about Bobby. So. Yeah, we we definitely want to. We try to pay tribute to the you know different wrestlers when they pass, and we've done a lot of tribute shows before for you know Pat Patterson and Bruno San Martino. But Bobby was one that we definitely wanted to talk about because I told Glenn, you know, when it first happened off the sport, uh, about one thirty in the morning, I saw a post from Bob Cook that he had passed. Yeah. And for the next 20 minutes, I just kept reading on my Facebook feed, just people talking about Bobby to the point where I had to stop because it was just so sad to hear about it. But Bobby was a great guy. Bobby was one of the nicest guys in professional wrestling. And like I said, you worked with him for, you know, 20 plus years. Um, so let's start off with that is, you know, how did your you know friendship with Bobby begin? Sure, and, you know, we were celebrating the 20th year of it this past year, or, you know, 2021 was the 20-year uh, anniversary. I met him. I was uh, getting a tryout to be a ring announcer in Memphis Championship Wrestling in February of 2001, so, you know, that's the precursor to NXT and the way things are done today. Back then, WWF at the time, World Wrestling Federation, had a developmental agreement with Memphis, and in addition to Ohio Valley Wrestling. So those were a couple of developmental territories. And I, I dumb luck my way. I'll just leave it at that to getting a tryout with that group as a ring announcer for the local shows. Not a WWE deal or anything like that, but just one of the local, I would be a local guy working on that card. And so my first night in during the tryouts, uh, Bobby, I knew he was coming in to be a trainer for Memphis and for the WWF at the time. So I was pretty pumped up and excited about it. I was a big fan of his, like, all of us that grew up in the 80s, if you watch wrestling and were a fan of all the different territories and promotions and so forth, you if you didn't know Bobby, you weren't really paying close attention. So I was a huge fan of his going into that and then met him. And the first time I met him, he walks across the room and he goes, hi, I'm Bobby Eaton. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I don't think I actually introduced him myself to him. I just pretty much said, yeah, I know. I mean, it was a, a starstruck moment to speak. So... And we just, you know, from that point forward, pretty well, we struck up a friendship. I mean, he was easy to like. I mean, he's he's that kind of guy, if you don't like him, there's something wrong with you, not something wrong with him. I mean, as, as cheesy as this sounds, we used to do commentary during these house shows, these Memphis shows that we would do just to entertain ourselves. We'd just kind of sit there. The fans couldn't hear us. We were kind of at a distance. we just start having fun and clowning around, calling the matches. And so we kind of joked that, we were commentary partners, and the funny thing is, he, I'd do about 95% of the talking. He'd, he'd chip in about 5%. As you know, he's notorious for being very uh, soft-spoken, and very rarely does he speak at all. 
so that was kind of uh, that kind of that was how we kind of started that friendship and it just took off from there so yeah you mentioned 20 years it's uh it goes by in a flash let me say that much it seems like only yesterday and you blink and 20 years are gone so some great times now you you know you were working with him uh you know, traveled to Indies with him and you worked as his manager uh during some of this time yeah. correct how, how did that evolve sure so as mentioned, we're in Memphis, and he's doing the training, and we get to be friends that way. And so uh, fast forward a couple of years, he, he that, that tenure for him had lasted a little while, and he went to Ohio Valley for a while, and it, you know, that contract had ended, so he was kind of back on the independent scene. And so, uh, you know, he and I stayed in touch a few times a year, and then later on, around 2003, toward the end of that year, I'm like, I was working – was running a promotion with a couple of friends and just, I wasn't exactly happy with the way things were going as wrestling goes yet. We all fight like cats and dogs. It seems like because we have our own preferences and how things should run. But long story short, I'm like, you know, Bobby had just moved to the Nashville, Tennessee area. And I had this idea is like, you know, Bobby, it'd be kind of fun to travel with you. I mean, duh, of course it would be. And I was like, what if I could travel with you and kind of start setting up some of your bookings and kind of handle that stuff. And all you, you're used to, you know, he'd always worked for WCW or Jim Crockett promotions and had Jim Cornette and he always had somebody kind of handling a lot of those arrangements and keep it, you know, keeping things going that way. And it's like, this would be kind of a cool opportunity. So off to the races we went we started that. And the first booking I actually got for him was at the old Mid-Atlantic Fan Fest that Greg Price put together in Charlotte, North Carolina. The first one was 2004 and just off to the races from there. Uh, we traveled a lot. Uh, especially those early days as far as distance. We one time traveled from Jonesboro, Arkansas to Carteret, New Jersey, which is roughly 26 hours straight. We talked about no way would I ever do that again because uh, my body couldn't handle it. But Bob was a trooper on that one. I know, I know, you know, wrestler even at that point, he was in his, you know, mid-40s about at that range. And so I know it beat his body up to be in a car for that extended period of time. And we just, we worked the circuit, man. And so uh, at one point in time, it's a couple different stints. He stayed with me for long periods of time because of, you know, all the bookings were, were close. So he was my roommate for many years. And so you just kind of, you know, you build up a great relationship there. And so we've uh, we've had a lot of good time for us to manage him on the independent circuit as his, you know, manager outside the ring. And then it, later on transition, you know, he was, after he, his wrestling days were done, he would he would become kind of a manager and a corner man for a lot of guys on the independent circuit, and we just kept the road hot, man. It was, uh, it was a great time. Memories I'll never forget. Now, you know, speaking of memories like that, you're getting to ride the roads with, uh, you know, Bobby, and I've been listening to Arn Anderson, Cornette, all the guys telling road stories. Um, that's kind of part of what we want to do today is kind of tell some of the stories and, you know, what are a couple of stories you can share about, you know, life on the road with Bobby, you know, paint a picture for our listeners. You know, it's funny. It, it, Bobby's a very funny guy. So you, you know, the wrestling world is used to hearing the, you know, he's quiet and this or that, but you'd have a blast with him. It's like you, you know, a lot of people, I think Art Anderson on his podcast mentioned kind of that the childlike demeanor, not in a negative way, like he's always just a kid, but he always, he kept that youthful vigor, and, you know, you were always, you felt like a kid again when you're around him, and just, you, you, your troubles went away, so whatever you're dealing with during the week at work, or your relationship, or whatever's going on, when you, when we got in that car on a weekend, 
all those troubles went away or those situations. You put those in the, the rearview mirror and you went and you had fun. So we'd always prank each other. And so one thing we would actually do as well, this is probably not very kind of us, but is if we had someone riding with us, especially for the first time or they didn't know us very well or you know, they just were more acquaintance, we would we'd bring them along with us but we would act like we would fight like cats and dogs all the way to the town and back and make that person on the road trip think these guys hate each other. How do they stand each other to travel? We would just nitpick at each other and, you know, the whole nine yards. And we try to, the idea was we were messing with the person traveling with us to say, you know, oh, these guys hate each other. When in reality, we they was the total opposite of that. So uh, those are that sort of, you know, those were some fun times doing that to different people, kind of keeping yourself entertained. You know, you've heard the weak stomach. I've got so many stories on that. <laughs> I mean, he, he does. You can almost have a conversation with him about something gross and disgusting, and that'll get him going. So you say, hey, Bobby, did you see something, you know, nasty over here happen? Or I saw a, a pile of poop on the side of the road. You know, dog, let's go pick that up. Oh, you know, he'd start, getting, <laughs> start giving him some heebie-jeebies there in the stomach. So, you know, it's a lot of good times. We... we like anybody that travels in wrestling, you're going to have a blowout at these oddball times. I remember one time coming back from a, a town. We were coming into Nashville, Tennessee, and we had a blowout at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And so we're here's Bobby Eaton on the side of the road trying to flag somebody down to help us, you know, get to the next exit so we can get the spare tire on or whatever we had to do. And so, you know, just a lot of fun times, man. Uh, but that week's stomach for sure. And then also you've heard about the bag. I used to joke with him. We're going to start booking a U-Haul to haul your stuff to these towns. And so we'll just show up in a U-Haul truck. Because those bags were, like, endless. And they're heavy, too, man. I'd, I'd throw my back out trying to carry them in for them. Like, here, I'll get your back washed. You know, it's like, good grief. But he always had something, like you said, for everybody. And the funny thing is, like Arn mentioned on his podcast, that trip could have been two blocks down the street. He's still going to carry the same amount of bags as if he was going for a week. So, lots of fun, good times, man. Did he ever explain to you why why he did that? Because, you know, like I said, this was going on for years. He would carry items yeah. for, you know, in case the other boys needed them. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that we had a truly in-depth conversation with it. Maybe it's just always, uh, maybe I had previously heard the stories and just went along with it. I would say he was always concerned that, you know, he would be in a situation where he needed something and wouldn't have access to it. So I guess the only way to avoid that is to have everything with you, no matter what. It's like, oh, I forgot this or that or whatever. And instead of being in that scenario, you're setting yourself up to no matter what you need, it's going to be there if you bring it all with you. So that's funny. No, we, we didn't have that. I don't know that we ever had that deep dive conversation. Bobby, why is why? It's just kind of like why it's the way it is. It's just like why is the, you know, why does the sun come up every day? You know, it just, it just does. I, you know, <laughs> so, I don't know the perfect science to it. You know, it's kind of like Bobby just always, that's Bobby's bag. You know, there's going to be a convenience store in there. Don't worry. You can never be missing something because he'll have it. I think one of the funniest things I heard was, I believe it was, I think Arn said it was the Steiner brothers. They would ask him just for random whatever to see if he actually had it. And they would just pick the most random thing. Yeah. And I believe Arn said that nine times out of ten, he had You know, did you witness any of that? The guy's trying to, like, you know, hey, Bobby, do you have this or that? And just to see if they could, 
you know, find something maybe that he didn't have in that bag. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's funny. You mentioned Steiner's. Yeah, I've seen that a time or two where guys would kind of see what all weird old things they could ask about, and he, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd shock you and produce. I can't think off the top of my head, think of anything specific, but yeah, I, I can remember times where guys would, would test that theory. Most likely they'd hit, they had heard that story and were going to kind of, you know, recreate it for themselves, you know, so it was, it was like a bottomless pit, man, that bag. And I remember, Funny story is like he, had, you know, he would wear them out. So one Christmas, my wife and I at the time were not together anymore. But the, my ex-wife, wife number one, uh, we we bought him a new bag for Christmas one year. Like Bobby, and, and I don't know that that bag made it. He went two seconds after we gave him that bag. He had that sucker filled up, and that zipper was barely making it. You know, you know how it is, and you got it, you know, cramped so full. It's like, is this zipper mm-hmm. gonna zip all the layers, break off? And he had that sucker already, you know, loaded up. So. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he always had a loaded bag, man. Convenience store in hand. Did you did you witness any times when he would help someone that you know outside of outside of wrestling? Because Cornette said that he would, you know, see a guy on the on the sidewalk, you know, sitting on the sidewalk outside of the convenience store. Bobby would purposely go into the convenience store. He didn't need anything, but he would go in to buy something, you know, for that gentleman. You know, did you witness anything like that? Yeah, I sure did, man. I mean, he was—he was just kind soul, you know. If he'd be, we'd see somebody down on their luck at, at you know at Walmart or whatever, he'd help them out. But one that really stands out for me, and we were—I guess it's kind of wrestling related because we were there doing a personal appearance, but it was unassociated with that appearance. It was at a, a festival in a small town in Arkansas, and he, you know, the kids—they had the little bounce houses and different things and games where kids could go buy the tickets, you know, at you know dollar a piece or whatever they were, a quarter a piece. And then they had, you know, tickets to play the game, just like a carnival or a festival. And I guess there's some little kid that was broke or didn't, you know, he, he saw the kid wanting to play the games but not having any tickets. And so he reached in and got some money out of his pocket and, and went and made sure that kid had some tickets so that kid got to enjoy the, the festival and, and not be one of the kids that had to watch everybody else. So that just, you know, that, that spoke volumes of his character and how he was. You know, he'd always... He'd offer you everything, man. Candy, gum, whatever he had, you know, he'd he'd buy dinners for guys, you know, he would he would just try to take care of everybody. He was just that kind of giving soul, you know. I referenced it a couple times already during this uh, show. Is that, you know, not just the nicest guy in professional wrestling, but almost like one of the nicest guys in the world. And uh thanks to you, uh a few years back, or really around two thousand fourteen. I got a chance to interview Bobby on two different occasions, one with uh, Heartbeat Radio with Bruce Hart and another time with an yeah. uh, uh, earlier podcast that I had done. And I wanted to talk to Bobby about, you know, my wrestling moments in his career. You know, I want to talk about the scaffold minutes. I want to talk about, you know, working with Cornette and, uh, and, you know, what he thought about this, what I thought about that. But the one concept that I always came out with, Bobby didn't want to talk about what he did in the ring. He wanted to put over who his opponent was. He wanted to put over, he wanted to put over he put over Jim Cornette. I mean, we all know about Jim Cornette. He wanted to put over Jim Cornette instead of talking about himself. And I always thought that was you know a very interesting quality about him. He didn't want to talk about himself, like he said, he was very you know very quiet. Very sometimes it was hard to get him to talk. There were a few times where I felt like I had to kind of you know reach into the screen yeah. and poke the bear a little bit just to get him to open his mouth. <laughs> He, you know, he was just that way. He, you know, he didn't want the spotlight. He was just doing what he loved, and 
you know, he was one of those guys that never got bitter about the wrestling business and the evolution of it. We could, you know, I, I'm I'm way bitter than he ever was, and I'm tw- I was 20 plus years younger than he was. But I'd always moan and groan and complain about this. He would just listen to me. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, okay, you know, and and so, but he never got to the point where he had any ill feelings toward the wrestling business when. He had the right to kind of feel like it might have cheated him out of different things or opportunities, but he never blamed the wrestling business for any opportunity that, that didn't come up for him. He would just say, you know, it made us all a living, those guys that did get that opportunity to, to work at, at a major level. He would say it gave us the opportunity to feed our families and make a really good living. Why should I be mad or bitter it is? So he always kept that demeanor and was all about making everybody else in his last years in the ring he used to drive me crazy, but I'd be managing him, and he would take a, a hip toss or a bill or a backdrop on the floor, hardwood gymnasium floor, concrete on a National Guard armory, wherever it was, and he'd be like, Bobby, you don't have to do those crazy bumps. But he wasn't. He, he felt like he wanted to do something extra to give that opponent something to you know to tell everybody, hey, I beat Bobby Eaton, and I backdropped him on the concrete or whatever the situation was he was always about making the opponent or you know there were times we had the midnight gold team that was with me as the manager him and golden boy greg anthony's partners he always made sure that golden boy never got beat when the team lost bobby took the pin so and he made all of us as, as his partner and manager and the opponent by getting the victory so he was always about how could he keep this wrestling business going and thriving and through uh making other people and so you know all of us that were blessed to know him and be associated with him we got the rub from him and he was always about doing business totally all right i'm going to pass the mic over to glenn i'm sure he has a few questions oh absolutely this is this is wrestling memories uh with our guest brian thompson and we're remembering the life of uh beautiful bobby eaton and you know my earliest memories of bobby man i think about it was when uh, i used to watch him on tbs in the old techwood drive studios when he used to go up to the top rope and he'd have to push the light away so he could jump and do his finisher <laughs> that was like some of the most awesome right. stuff and, and the thing was bobby was a character too i mean with those tv tape those tv sh- uh, episodes in, in that old studio i mean they were like him and Cornette. those guys had so much fun you know whether it be with dennis or stan in the ring with some of the guys that they've worked with, some of the uh, the enhancement guys, because I always loved whenever Bobby would put him, take somebody out of the ring and he'd put him in a headlock and he'd, and he'd bring him over to Jim and Jim would be, yeah, say hi to your mama. <laughs> you know, there was just things like that that made Bobby funny because Bobby didn't wasn't a man of many words. I mean, he didn't have to be. He was just a guy to let his actions speak for themselves. But, you know, later, I, when I think about some of the funniest stuff I saw Bobby do uh, was later on, you know, towards the end of his career, the end of, you know, mid, you know, mid-90s, when they hooked him up with uh, Stephen Regal with William Regal and for this tag team, the blue bloods and how it played out. And some of those skits that they did with Bobby were just absolute riots. I mean, that was really kind of fun to see Bobby kind of step out a little bit. I mean, he didn't have to say too much there, but it was kind of fun to show that side of him to know that he had a sense of humor. And what could, was Bobby a little bit like that every once in a while? Did, he, did you ever get Bobby squirrely? And, you know, he'd show all that sense of humor a little bit more than often. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once you got to know him, he was he was always playing a little joke on you. I mean, I, I remember one time, so we would, when he was staying with me out in Arkansas, 
we would drive by my old university where I went to college, and I would talk about, you know, oh, I remember this from that and, and, and so forth and had such a great time at this university. I'd bring up some college memories. Well, later on, I felt like I guess I shared all the college memories I had with him, so I wasn't saying anything, and I'd drive by that university, and he'd start, he'd start making, he'd start, you know, mimicking me. Well, I remember Arkansas State. Oh, I had such a good time here. And he just clown with you like that, right? He, he just do the funny things like that. Most of the time, they're extra funny because they're out of the blue. You know, you weren't expecting them. So you're just, all of a sudden, he says something funny or, you know, pokes at you or something like that. That's that's the funny side of Bobby. And he loved that blue blood thing. And I, as a wrestling purist, for a while, I was a little bit, I didn't like the gimmick because I thought they were, you know, doing something kind of stupid with Bobby, but as I got smarter and older and understood the diversity and that range that he was able to show with that character, I got it, you know what I mean? And so it was just like it showed that he had more range and wasn't just a quiet, you know, country boy from Huntsville, Alabama. He could he could diversify his ability there as an on-screen character. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of the reason he didn't talk was because he had managers. So again, he was giving them the opportunity. They, the manager couldn't get in there and have a match like he could. So he would then give them the chance to do their thing on the microphone. You could pull up some old interviews of Bobby in his younger days, you know, wrestling out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He could cut a decent promo. I mean, if he would have, you know, continued going forward, I, he would have been an okay promo. I think he more or less though realized that his key ability his key strength was in the ring and then he could make that manager and let them do the bulk of the talking and, and the manager draw the heat that way and, and you know talk them into the building as we like to say mm-hmm. and then bobby would do the thing in the ring so you know he, he is kind of underrated when you think of promos if you go look at some of those you're like you know if he had continued working at this he might not have been the worst promo in the world he just he gave up on it so other people could benefit from that opportunity so mm-hmm. And he, it, you know, and it didn't hinder his career, and not one bit, because he had a great run sure. with with Jim in the Midnight Express. But and you talk about a guy, you know, Ar- it's, a lot of people talk about Arn Anderson being a, a con- mentioned as the ultimate consummate tag team specialist. You know, you look back on Bobby Eaton's career. I mean, you know, we a lot of people just you know think about him with St- you know Stan and Dennis, but Bobby had other partners, and Bobby did quite well with other sure. partners. Hell, Bobby even. Uh, Carried the jet set to a, a slight degree of fame uh, back in the day. Yeah, we. I used to poke at him about you know his back still hurting from those days and having to carry that. But and I like George Goodless. He's a good guy. I've met him through the years, so we, you know it's kind of an inside little uh, jab there. But you know, yeah, there's Coco Beware was a tag partner at one point. You know, he had a, a short run in WCW with Steve Kern, Chris Benoit. I mean, there's a number of different partners that he had along the way that. Uh, Bobby Walker, I think there was a couple of you know little short tag team runs he'd had even later on in WCW. So yeah, he had a lot of different partners that he got to work with, and obviously Midnight Express and Arn are, are the probably the most famous of people that you know they remember them most vividly. But Golden Boy Greg Anthony on the independent circuit, and he would tag with some other guys uh, in different parts of the country and kind of build them even in his later in ring career. So he was. Yeah, he was. I really feel like you know he and Arn are right there neck and neck tied for that distinction, in my opinion, for a consummate tag team professional wrestler because of their contributions to that front. And then they both can go as singles, and then they had a heck of a series of matches against each other, you know, over the years. And you, you know, if you haven't seen them like YouTube or whatever, Super Brawl comes to mind from 1991 when Bobby won the TV title from Arn. That's that's one. 
we've had some other TV bouts throughout the years. Their interaction in Smoky Mountains. So yeah, um, and it, you, it's funny you mentioned that. We uh, another underrated group is the Dangerous Alliance. I mean, that thing is that group is so talented. I mean, top to bottom, it's it's up there with the Horsemen as far as pure talent uh, of a group of individuals. So. Yeah, and, and he's had throughout his career. Yeah, and it was right around the time that Bobby had that brief face run, of course, that led to his uh, television title victory over Arn Anderson at Super Brawl. Then handing it over to Steve Austin, who just came into the into the uh, NWA at the time. And boy, it wasn't much longer after that. All these guys got together, and they were and like the, the Dangerous Alliance, like you mentioned. I, I think kind of get under. They just don't get the rub when it comes to talking about factions at that time or the p- factions of the last 25, 30 years, because you know. You have your horsemen and other things like that, where they kind of get left behind. But man, they were as solid as it got, and they had every little piece filled up. They had the perfect yeah. puzzle. Yeah, they that group. Like I said, I mean, I, I love the horsemen just as much as anybody. But mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty close close comparison there. Obviously, times were different by that point. WCW and the corporate structure and and different political factions and leadership versus you know if that group would have been a together in the territory days where there's maybe a little more flexibility and you know the way you were able to do things so yeah that that dangerous alliance group man it, it, that it was a very short run i can't remember the exact amount of time but it, that should have lasted for many years and it only went a year or two so but what a group man top to bottom 100%. And you know, I did think that Bobby's uh, clash match against Flair, they, they should have gave him way more time. They could have made it much more than what it was. Yeah. I thought it was one of the one of those great yeah. shames that, you know. Yeah, that's a, that was a great match too, you know. And then he had some other matches a couple years before that with Rick Flair on uh, NWA, WCW TV. So, you know, he Rick loved wrestling Bobby. So, you know, he was he was a preferred one of those guys that Rick would love to just have a match with. And you knew it was a, you know, for those guys on both sides, it was like a night off, you know, you didn't worry about getting hurt. You knew you're going to tear the house down and let's just go out there and, you know, knock them dead. So, you know, so many matches like that. He, he had some good matches with Ricky Steamboat over the year. I mean, even oh, yeah. during that, you know, there's that 92, that 91, 92 to 93 era of WCW because the wrestling business has kind of gotten, or they, it wasn't as mainstream popular there during those two or three years. Man, that WCW, if you go back and rewatch it, there was some good stuff during that era. I mean, even, I love Rick Flair, of course, he's one of my favorites of all time, but take even the post him leaving and then all the way to end of the, kind of between that point and up to when Hulk Hogan arrived, there was some good stuff in WCW. It just, you know, got kind of lost, lost to history, I think, a little bit because of wrestling wasn't as popular as right between. He was at the start of a downturn and in between that and, and the Attitude Era and things kind of rocking and rolling again. So good stuff. You know, of course, we got the network on Peacock, so a good tool or YouTube as well and other resources, but good stuff. I'd encourage people to check that out, especially those of you in the wrestling business that are looking to glean things from it and get better. Watch some of those old matches of Bobby from those days. I mean, it's really good stuff on there. Okay, very, very much so. I'm going to ask one more question before I give it back to Mike. Uh, talk a little bit about Bobby, uh, you know, as the family man, the father, and he was married to, uh, believe it or not, a lot of fans maybe don't know this, was married to Bill Dundee's daughter. Now, Bill Dundee was yeah. quite the personality here. This guy was top of the card, working Menfo, the superstar. I mean, they couldn't get any more louder, larger than life. Then, then that guy, man, Bill, and I've talked to Bill, but you know, in the past, and he is a character. And to have Bobby, 
you know, Bobby yeah. getting in, into this family. I mean, and Bobby, of course, Bill, and you got to see also his son, Jamie, who's a character, too. That must have been an yeah. interesting dynamic uh, growing up, uh, you know, with, with Bobby marrying Donna and raising their, their three kids together with that part of the wrestling family. Yeah. No doubt about it. They're, they're a wrestling family you don't think about. The Eaton, that Eaton Dundee clan. And you got Jamie and Bill and first Bobby and then Bobby's son Dylan wrestled a little bit there for a couple of years. So uh, the talent, that, that group of family members are very talented. And so, yeah, you know, they, they were a unique Unique pairing for sure, and of course you know the story about how you know Donna and, and Bobby were starting to see each other and kind of quietly. And when it was revealed to to Bill that you know she was seeing a wrestler, he was he wasn't going to have it. He was livid, and then you know it's kind of like okay, you got to put up or shut up. Well, who was it? You know who is it? And so then when she revealed it was Bobby, it was like okay, I guess if you're going to marry or date any kind of wrestler, it, that's the one. That's a very that's the only one I would approve of. So. That's kind of how that started. It's kind of a neat, neat story right there. So, but yeah, they, you know, he, he was, he adored his kids. I mean, I, I actually uh, spoke at the, the funeral service here uh, when it was held. And, you know, I told him, you know, do know that your dad, he, he loved you guys dearly. No question about it. And I saw it firsthand. And so he was, everything he did, he was, you know, back to making sure they were okay. Or if they needed something, he was able to try to provide it, you know, and, you say, why does a guy still wrestle at a certain age or wrestle on independence and maybe he can kick back and take it easy, but he was trying to, you know, help them out as best he could. So he loved his grandkids. You know, he's got several grand, he had several grandkids they leaves behind and, you know, he was a big influence on them and they loved him. I mean, he was just, a, he was like a big old teddy bear. He had to wrestle, had to be gone a lot, you know, when they were growing up. And I know he hated that part, wish he could have been around more sometimes, you know, when, when things were really on fire and he was having to be gone at long stretches, but, you know, he was out there providing and doing the best he could, so, you know, he was setting them up to, to have a better opportunity, so, and, you know, he grew up from humble beginnings, you know, which he never forgot and never lost sight of that, so he wouldn't try to hide, you know, I, I you know, he wouldn't try to put on, like, a face like he came from something, some kind of grand situation or whatever. He did, but he didn't look at it that way. He didn't look like he was humble beginnings. He looked at it as that's just he had he had what he needed. He had the love and support of his family. So that you know that's much more than any amount of dollars could ever you know buy or be. So uh, he always kept that right perspective. He you know he taught me you know you you come in and you think I, I told this too at the funeral service. You know he could have had this big head or big big ego, and you you kind of would respect it or accept it. You said okay you been there done that you can be kind of you know you can be kind of cocky or big-headed or egotistical but he never was he he would tell you you know it doesn't cost anything to be nice to someone he's right i mean that's and he you know you could glean forget you know take wrestling out of the equation you could learn a lot from him as just a human being if you followed if you studied a person and tried to follow and emulate them and just what they did and how they lived their life, if you did that, you'd be a much better, we'd all be better people. The world would be better with more Bobby Eaton in it. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Most definitely. Mike McCurdy bringing you back into the conversation on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now with our guest, Brian Thompson. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'd like to expand a little bit more on uh, Bobby's family life, his relationship with his wife. Sure. They were married, I believe, Cornette said 40 years almost, which in the wrestling world is one of those things that's almost is almost unheard of. Uh, I equated it 
kind of to me with everything going on, because she passed just shortly before him, about a month, I believe. I kind of equated them to Johnny and June, kind of in that country, you know, aspect yeah. of it. Is that yeah. after his wife passed, that, you know, Bobby didn't have her, and that might have been something, like he died of a broken heart. Um, was that the relationship that they had that was like that, that tight that, you know, maybe that was one of kind of the reasons why that he just, you know, he, he lost the one, the woman he loved. Yeah, I have no doubt that that was, a, you know, he had a number of health issues in the last 15 years or so, heart issues, so that, you know, and then obviously I, I can't, you know, I'm married now again, and I can't, I couldn't fathom what that would be like to lose your significant other at any given point in time, especially when you've been, you know, been together for 40 years nearly, and so I have no doubt that that was a contributing factor uh, to all that, and, you know, just being sad about that, that situation, uh, you know, I did get to see him, so he passed away on the Wednesday. I got to see him the Saturday before. First time I'd seen him since December of 2019, obviously, with the pandemic and everything. Everybody's kind of had to stay in their neutral corners. But, you know, I got to see him. He, he was getting out of the hospital. Like, our last, you know, wrestling trip or whatever you want to call it, car ride, for lack of a better term, uh, was a 30-minute ride from the hospital in Nashville back to his, the, his house in Antioch, Tennessee. And so, you know, he seemed pretty good, you know, but you don't know what's in him. You know, sadly, we just, you know, you guys came on the air talking about Daphne, and I hate to hear that. Such a sad deal there, and especially at her young age. She's only about six or seven years older than me, so that's, my gosh, you know, that's way. And Bobby was too young to go this early, 62, and then here's Daphne at 46, 47, whatever she was. And so, but, you know, hers was a situation where obviously there were some, some issues and mental health concerns and, so you can only imagine, I mean, here's, you know, Bobby, I'm sure that, that weighed heavy on his mind. And so, you know, wondering, you know, what's next. And hopefully we, you know, he tried, we had a lot of positive things in the works and bookings coming up, some new opportunities. And, uh, you know, when I last saw him, you know, that Saturday before the Wednesday he passed, it, it felt like he was, he was positive. So I hope, you know, in his last hours and so forth and days there that he still was able to keep that. But, I, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer that that losing his wife about 40 days before that was definitely stressful on him. And, and I can't imagine that it, it didn't have some effect on him and, and contribute to that whole deal. Yeah. On uh, Cornette's podcast, he said that he had talked to Bobby, I believe it was the day that he was uh, getting out of yeah. the hospital and they had some, right. Cornette was talking to him about something to do with cameo and all that. Yeah. He said Bobby was in yeah. good spirits and I guess you would talk to Jim yeah. and Bobby said, Oh, it was a good phone call. I mean, up until he passes, Bobby was still, you know, in the wrestling world. It was still part of, you know, it was still in his blood and all that, which, which I think is great because, you know, obviously it was something he loved and all that. But it just shows you that no one expected him to pass, you know, that quickly. No, no, we were we were all very in, in. I was there with him when he was talking to, to Cornette at that moment, you know, and we were we had we were pretty excited, man. We I was ready. I I, I was. Not that I'm getting in the ring or I didn't do a whole lot of wrestling. I was mostly managing, promoting and stuff. But I was I was trying to get myself back ready to go and kind of – I was ready to be chauffeur. Let's do another run, man. Let's, uh, you know, maybe not as often as we used to do 20 years ago when I was early 20s and could take that kind of punishment in my own body. Just dry, You know, the punishment in the ring is something, but then you compound that when you're in the car for hours upon hours. That you know, That's where it – it'll beat you up too. So I can only imagine how much pain he was in. Cause I, it bothered me and I just was 
driving the car, riding along. So I can only imagine, you know, you had bumps to that. But we were ready to go, man. I was I was working on rescheduling a couple of dates he had to miss because he was in the hospital, and we we'd see each other again. And I was gonna, you know, go see him again about a month after that. And you know, we had some plans we're working on, but uh, unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. Now you said you spoke at his uh, memorial service, and from reading online, uh, it wasn't obviously just you know his family and all that. It was a lot of the wrestling community. Um, from your perspective, you know, how did that make you feel? See everybody coming together. You know, I knew Cornette was there. I think all the Midnight were there. Uh, Arn Anderson yeah. was there. I mean, how did it feel to see everybody coming together to remember uh, to remember Bobby that day? You know, it just spoke volumes about how much he meant. He had no clue. He never would realize, I don't think, how much we all loved him and stuff. And so, but just to, you know, it was kind of, a, you know, it's a mixed bag. Obviously, you're there for the reason you're there. It was good to see everybody. I mean, most of them I personally hadn't seen in at least, at the, at the bare minimal, two years. Uh, and then some of them had been longer than that. So, you know, we, there was a, Matt Sigmund put together the 2019 tribute show to Bobby. So I had obviously the last time I'd seen Sigmund was in December of 2019. So that was that would have been the earliest I had seen any of them. So almost just under say a year and a half, almost two years, and then some of them longer than that. But you know, just it proved, and it was really interesting to see. From there were several that were there from his early days and at his you know prime time, I guess his NWA WCW days, and then you saw even back before that in his territory, Huntsville, some of his friends that he grew up with that had also spent some time in the wrestling business. And then some of our, you know, some of his, uh, the guys that he'd met, say, the last, you know, 20, 25 years on the independence. So, uh, I, you know, I got the chance to speak, very honored to do so. Maybe the biggest honor I've ever had in my life to be able to, you know, I've given speeches in my professional career, but none will ever, you know, top that. Just cause, And I'm not saying it was a good speech. I'm just saying because I had the opportunity to talk about my friend. But, you know, Brad Thomas, uh, Brad Joseph, he's a pastor. He also was a really good friend of Bobby and had wrestled with him and against him. And they had, he had stayed with uh, Brad a lot in East Tennessee. Another good friend, Jeff Tankers, who sang the uh, Johnny Cash song, Kurt. And because uh, that was a song that Bobby liked to hear Jeff uh, play. And so they, you know, they were really good friends. And so Michael St. John, who I grew up around him and was also a, an announcer in, in the radio business and the wrestling territory business, he was there, spoke. And then one of Bobby's sister-in-law. So, you know, a good a good showing from family, friends, from all walks of life, but a really good representation from the wrestling business. Uh, you mentioned some of the names. I, like Tom, I, I hate to start saying names because I'll forget somebody and they'll listen to this and I'll feel bad about it. So if you're out there and you hear this and, and you were there and I forgot to say your name, my apologies in advance. But, I, like, you mentioned some names. And also in addition to that, Tom Pritchard, Bill Dundee, Terry Golden, Tony Falk. Charles Robinson was there. So, I mean, there was there was quite a few that, that knew Bobby. We're good for Arvel Hucho, one of his friends, Hutto. I always butcher his name. My apologies, Arvel. But he uh, he grew up with Bobby. He wrestled some. He, I, you can find him in some uh, enhancement roles. I saw him wrestle The Rockers from 89 on an old clip from WWE, or from uh, WWE, those superstars taping. So, you know, a really good representation. And, of course, as I mentioned, uh, Sigmund was there. And Golden Boy Greg Anthony. Uh, Killer Nichols, another wrestler. I mean, there were just so many. Rodney Freeman, he's another friend. Lou, uh, is his nickname. So there's, and I'm just sitting here. I could, I'm trying to envision it and picture it, but uh, it was just, just heartwarming to see that we all came together, and some of us had been in the business 
for a little while, a long while, and uh, all the way back with him. So it shows how far back he goes as far as his uh, career and the amount of people that appreciated him. And, and I'm sure there, there were so many more there in spirit. Uh, several different people from the wrestling world sent flowers and stuff that couldn't be there in person. So he had the utmost respect of uh, the entire wrestling community. Now, you mentioned the uh, the, the show that Matt Sigmund put together for him. And uh, I'm a regular listener of uh, the experience, and Cornette talked about this show leading up to it. Right. And this, I think, kind of also plays into the character of Bobby. They were referring to it as the Don't Tell Bobby uh, show. And it was all promoted on social media. Tickets were sold on social media. They didn't do the posters or whatever. Stuff like that because they didn't want Bobby to find out. And Bobby didn't use social media. So that was the best way for them to do it. Bobby knew nothing about this show because it was all promoted on social media. And Bobby has no so. From what I understand, Bobby had no social media presence whatsoever. No, he, he still had a flip phone. <laughs> he could not text, but he oh, could call you. Or he could read. Yeah, he had no he. That wasn't his world, man. He would you could show him stuff, or you could pull up a YouTube video, but he was he was not technologically savvy. So yeah, that that was classic. So we we all got together and had a had a pretty good game plan. I think we executed it well. And, and kudos to Matt Sigmund. I mean, he gets the lion's share of the credit for that because he was he was the mastermind, and we would talk about it. But I mean, if if you want to put a percentage, he was ninety nine point nine percent, and the rest of us that were in the mix were point one percent. So. Uh, he loved Bobby tremendously and dearly, and so I appreciate him for doing that. that that's kind of a funny story. Let, I, I'm happy to share a little bit about that. So I, I was a chauffeur for that one, of course. I picked Bobby up, and, and he and Bill Dundee. So, you know, I'm a little kid. I'm I'm chauffeuring Bobby and Bill Dundee to a town. Here's what I will tell Here's an example of just of Bobby, right, just how he was as a human being, even in the wrestling business. I told him, I said, Bob, you got we got this booking on what the date was December something twenty nineteen. I said, You got this date, it's gonna be in Knoxville. It's for Sigmund. You know, we like to say, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll do this date. I said, I don't know what how much money you're gonna get, but I the Sigmund to take care of you. So Bobby had no idea whether he was gonna get two bucks, twenty bucks, two thousand bucks. He didn't know the show was gonna be for him and they're gonna raise the money for him. He knew that he had a booking and he didn't know if he's getting a big payday or a little payday or a very, you know, pennies on the dollar, he showed up just because he respected Sigmund and was willing to take that booking on the our word that, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure you're taken care of, and that's all, you know. He did the same for me. He wrestled for me. Of course, I, you know, I ran shows, you know, at different points, and he was on my cards, but the last time I had him on a show was December 2018. I didn't tell him what I was going to pay him. He, he, he would have came in for, you know, he just, he trusted me to take care of him, and I did, but... It wasn't like he had to be, no, I need to know exactly what I'm going to get or I'm not leaving this house. You know what I mean? He wasn't like that. You know, he was just that kind of guy. You know, he went into that not knowing whether there's going to be any money or, you know, what, what the scenario was going to be. But he, he told him that Sigmund was putting it on, and he trusted Sigmund. He went in there with that faith that he that it'd be okay, you know. And if it wouldn't have been a lot of money, if it would have been, you know, just a little bit, he would have he would have understood and would have been happy just to help his buddy Sigmund, you know. Now, before we wrap up uh, the show today, you know, we've talked a lot about Bobby and, you know, shared a few stories, but uh, you spoke at his memorial service. But for our listeners, what would you like to say, you know, about your friend Bobby? You know, he, he was the, the kindest soul human being you'll ever meet. I mean, we've established that. It's just, it's, this may be a broken record, but I just want to know if you, as a wrestler in the ring, study him, 
but also, you know, listen to some of these stories about the human being. And if you can, if you could take anything away from this conversation or anything you've heard about Bobby, it would be be more like Bobby. If you want to carry on this man's legacy, and we all should and, and should want to, uh, the in-ring stuff is fantastic. You know, get as good as you can in the middle of that ring, but more so carry on his legacy of the type of human being he was. And I, if you want to start a hashtag, start a hashtag, be more like Bob. This whole world would be a better place if we'd all stop for and, you know, study the type of human being he was and try to emulate that and, you know, be the guy that's willing to help that guy on the side of the road or, or the homeless guy, you know, everybody else is shunning, you know, help that person or, or give that kid the, the $5 or whatever to go on some carnival rides that, when that kid didn't have it. Be that type of person. I think if we could get that domino effect going, uh, life would be a lot better. And help, help people out. I mean, we heard about Daphne. I hate to, hate to hear that today. And, you know, try to, you know, where you can. I mean, I know people are blowing her phone up and trying to help her. But maybe, uh, maybe check in on them a little bit more frequently before it's, before you don't have that opportunity to make that phone call. So I, I I'm very fortunate that I I'm probably the last wrestling friend person you know that, that was friends with him through that that got to see him uh, minus his family because I had you know I, I made that trip to the hospital to check in on him uh, had some some opportunity there to visit with him about about some opportunities he had coming up and so. I'm very fortunate. It, it, it's hard. It's been a it's been a difficult few weeks now since we lost him, uh, but I, I kind of hold on to the fact that I did get to see him one last time uh, there in his final week of, of life, and, and I'm holding on to that because you know if uh, some things hadn't worked out, I, I would have gone almost two years without seeing him, and that'd be that'd be a hard pill to swallow. So, but again, be more like Bobby, and that's that's my takeaway from everything. If anybody wants to to glean something from this. All right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back over to you. Thank you, Mike. Well, it's time to wrap up another edition of Wrestling Memories. A big thank you to our guest, Mr. Brian Thompson. We thank Brian for sharing his memories of the late, great, beautiful Bobby Eaton. For Brian Thompson and the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories. <laughs>